Uh, but we're in this, this big section now of the book about spiritual gifts. And chapter 12 last week talked about uh, what spiritual gifts are, how they function in the body, um, the body of Christ. And chapter 14 will specifically talk about how you use spiritual gifts in the context of public worship. Um, and into uh, the, this discussion on spiritual gifts comes one of the most famous and uh, I think sometimes ripped out of context uh, passages in the entire scriptures. Uh, so <clears throat> as you get there, I just want to give you a couple situations that might, uh, might help you get what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. So imagine, uh, who's been to a wedding recently? Almost a lot of you guys, okay? Uh, well, I want you to imagine that uh, you're at a wedding, and it's kind of the perfect, picturesque wedding. Everything's beautiful, set up really well. Uh, the bride and groom are very happy. They look wonderful. Uh, you know, the door's open, the bride comes, and the groom, this, this one tear. You know, he keeps it together. He keeps it together. But, you know, the one, the one tear is shed, and everyone's like, oh, that's so cute, you know? Um, and... Uh, and it's time for the pastor to give, you know, his few words about marriage. And he looks at the couple and he says, um, the first thing that you need to know about marriage is that you two are terrible people. And as of yet, you have not really loved each other at all. You've just used each other. Hopefully marriage will teach you how to love. How would you guys respond to that, sitting in the crowd? How'd you feel? All right, imagine this. Maybe, maybe a little, a little more close to home, okay? You, um, you, you receive a Christmas card in the mail. I don't know if you guys are in the Christmas card phase of life. I receive a lot of Christmas cards, and they're all the same. Everyone's got this perfect smile on, you know. It's green and red and got some gold ribbons around it. There's some little phrase on there, okay? But anyways, I want you to imagine you receive a Christmas card, and you're like, oh, my gosh, look how cute they are in their Christmas jammies, you know, whatever, okay? And you open it up. And it reads this, when I think of you, friend, I think of the true meaning of Christmas, that humanity is so evil and horrible that God had to die. That was a Christmas card. Merry Christmas, okay? <laughs> Do you send them a Christmas card back? <laughs> Maybe a, even a more sarcastic one, you know, right? Okay, uh, well, when, we, when, when you hear 1 Corinthians 13 at a wedding, which I'm sure you have, or when you see it plastered on someone's, uh, someone's wall, okay, that, that is really the sense of the passage. The, this passage is not, it might sound flowery, it has some poetic language, but really it's a passage with a punch. First Corinthians 13 has some teeth to it. Uh, and it might, be, it might sound kind of surprising to you, but uh, let's just, I'll just take a little look at the, the passage's context. Um, why is Paul writing about spiritual gifts? Because the Corinthians were boasting about their spiritual gifts. They were arrogant. They were envying the gifts of others. Look at, uh, look at our very well-known 1 Corinthians 13, 4. It says, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. Do y'all see that? What love is is the opposite of what the Corinthians were doing. Uh, it also says, verse 4 says that love is not arrogant. Uh, what has Paul rebuked the Corinthians for throughout the book? Their arrogance. In chapter 5, verse 2, which we were in months ago, uh, there's sin in the congregation, and Paul goes, and you, and you boast, you, you should repent of your arrogance. Um, 
What love is, it is what the Corinthians were not. Love is not envy, doesn't desire the good that other, others had. What were the Corinthians doing? They were suing each other to steal each other's goods. That's 1 Corinthians 6. All this to say, okay, uh, when this letter was read before the congregation, that, that's, that's how these, uh, these letters in the New Testament are, if you don't know that, that New Testament letters, generally speaking, were, led, were, were read out loud in full to a congregation in public. That's how they, that's how they functioned. Is, hey, guys, here, this is from Paul. Okay, let's read this. And they'd read the whole thing. People had much longer attention spans back in the day. Uh, but uh, I'll say, I am almost certain that when this section of the letter was read, nobody felt good. I think you could hear a pin drop in the room. Everyone in the room is so convicted or so angry that the Apostle Paul would dare say this, that there's silence. And uh, we need to get a sense of that as we read it. It's very difficult. Uh, but the passage was originally intended to just show the Corinthians how messed up they were, how twisted their spiritual priorities were, and to help them walk in repentance. And my, my hope is as we dive in, you guys can see it with fresh eyes. And we can begin to do that as the Spirit leads. All right, let's read this passage, and then we'll pray and ask the Lord's help. 1 Corinthians 13. I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love. I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. We're done. We just ask for um, the wisdom and the humility uh, to receive your word this morning. Just pray that... You, you would give us the ability to see ourselves clearly and to see our desperate need for grace and to trust uh, that you will give us um, what you command of us. I ask that in Christ's name. Um, I think uh, one of the most frustrating and scary things about life is that you can get so caught up on the pathway to your goals that you miss your goals entirely. Um, I played baseball in college, and almost every college athlete of really any sport lifts weights. Uh, there's resistance training. You have to get stronger to compete athletically, um, almost across the board. 
Uh, and I knew guys, and I was a pitcher, and you know, pitchers you throw with your arm, right? And I knew guys um, that began to lift weights uh, so that they could be better pitchers. And then they started getting big muscles. They were like, oh, this is nice. Like, I'm gonna hit the bicep curls up again. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bench press a little bit more. And they got so buff that they ruined their arms. They were less effective pitchers. They lost the goal uh, with the means. Or imagine a, imagine a Christian guy in college who says, you know, one day I'm going to be a husband and I want to be a really, really, really good provider for my family. I don't want my wife or my children to ever worry about financial stuff. And so he gets the, the money job, like he gets the, the major, he takes the really hard classes, he gets the great job, and he wakes up at the age of 45 and he realizes he's been so devoted to providing for his family that he's neglected them. Or think of, uh, imagine a Christian who hears a, a powerful talk on the spiritual disciplines, and she says to herself, I've just got to get back on the train. You know, the preacher was really convincing. You know, God works as I pursue him, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go hard. And she starts memorizing scripture. She starts praying. She starts, she starts staying up late at night to pray for the nations. And all the while she does this, she starts thinking, I am the holiest person in this room. You know, her... Her pursuit, her very pursuit of the Lord is creating the opposite of what God intends. Just, uh, just imagine um, what that pitcher feels like when they ruin their arm bench pressing or when that man wakes up and he realizes he has, he has, he has ne- his family has been horribly hurt by his negligence or the girl who wakes up and realizes that her disciplines have made her a Pharisee. They've wasted, all their efforts have been wasted because they missed the main thing. And uh, there's this terrifying possibility in verses 1 through 3 that Paul holds out to the Corinthians who were kind of obsessed with their gifts and their actions. And that is that you can live the Christian life and even be amazingly good at living the Christian life and you can miss everything. You can waste your Christian life. You can, at the end of the day, have nothing. Um, The one thing that you can miss is love. That is what gives life and eternity its meaning, love. And we'll get to what that is in a moment. But the point here is you can, the point here in the first three verses is you can be disciplined. You can do amazing acts of obedience. You can be wonderfully gifted and still miss the only thing that has value forever. Uh, look at verses uh, 1 through 3. Um, again, this passage in the context of spiritual gifts. Uh, and that is a hard context to really understand the way we've misused it. But it's the only thing that makes sense in these verses. Uh, verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. So the Corinthians uh, were all very good at speaking in tongues, and almost certainly uh, the way that gift manifested itself was someone speaking in a, t- in a tongue, a known human tongue, like Hungarian or Thai or whatever, okay? That's what would happen. And someone would stand up and interpret it, and all be really good. Um, but Paul goes a step further, and he says, I can speak in the tongues of men, not just men, but of angels. I can go a step further than this gift you guys love so much. I can speak in the tongue of angels, the language of heaven. But if I don't have love, I am just a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. 
noisy gongs and clanging cymbal are music, are instruments that are not very helpful. Uh, pianos and drums are wonderful, but children on pianos and drums are horrible, okay? Um, uh, the, wor the, word here, the word here for clanging is actually wailing. Like imagine nails on a chalkboard, like you know? Or uh, I don't know if you guys know uh, the movie Dumb and Dumber where Jim Carrey's like, what's the most annoying sound in the world? And he just starts screaming, you know? That's, that's the word here, okay? okay? You can speak in the language of heaven. And if you don't have love, it's not beautiful at all. It's repulsive. That's the idea here. Um, and the next two verses uh, are a little more close to home for those of us who don't speak in tongues. Paul says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love on nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul's describing uh, incredible kinds of knowledge, understanding all of the mysteries of God. Think of a double PhD in theology or someone who just sees things in the scriptures that you don't. Um, think, of, think of someone who just obeys Jesus in a way that's radical. Hey, I'm single when I'm 25, you know what I'm doing? I'm going to move to Afghanistan, stay single, and live there until either someone kills me or until the Lord calls me back here. Radical acts of obedience. You can do those kind of things. You can have that kind of knowledge. And if you don't have love, it's meaningless. Nothing. Um, and that is a very, very uh, countercultural thing. Uh, we tend to see our Christian lives primarily in our actions and in our giftedness and the things that we do. Uh, and you might be thinking, Leland, is this, isn't this a little overstated? Like, isn't Paul just being, like, poetic here? Isn't he using hyperbole? Uh, consider 1 Timothy 1. says that the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The whole point of the charge of an apostle, of the teaching of an apostle, the doctrine, is love. The whole point of your faith, the whole point of a clear conscience, the whole point of a pure heart is love. Galatians 5 says, the whole law is summed up in, one, in a word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, we'll, uh, we'll define love in just a moment. Um, for now, we can settle with love is, a, love is living your life for the sake of others. There's certainly more about it that we'll see in a second. But in general, that's what love is, is living your life for the sake of others. And uh, now that I've said that, can you not see how easy it is to live your Christian life and completely miss that, right? Um, guys, it's possible that you have lived this entire week and month and maybe year, and you've been so consumed with where you're at and what's going on in your life and what's God doing in your heart that you have you have live a life that neglects the needs of others. You've been really good at caring for yourself and really forgiving and gracious with your sins, right? When it comes to others, you've forgotten or you've been very good at remembering their sins. It's, 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 guys, it's easy to walk in this room. It's easy to come to church, to open your Bible and to not, and to not love at all, to not have your goal to be love. Just, just consider for a moment um, just reflect and think and ask yourself, am I living my life for the sake of others? Is that what I orbit around? Your vocation right now, 
ultimately, it's about love. You can work hard for 45 years, and if you don't have love, it's, it's worthless. Your, uh, your devotionals, your time here at church, the point of those things is love. Um, just kind of as a secondary application, uh, keep the spiritual gifts in their proper place. Uh, last week we talked a lot about gifts and how it is God's will for you to pursue your spiritual gifts, to figure them out, to serve in the body, to learn, and to, to use your gifts. I also talked about uh, the miraculous gifts because they're here, and I argued uh, that for all intents and purposes, they have ceased to be active in the life of the local church. And uh, we talked about that. We had a very good discussion um, for, uh, for the question and answer. And to be honest with you guys, let's be honest, as the more I wrestle with these, the more I am reevaluating my position and chewing on it and thinking about it. Uh, but can't you guys see just how easy it is to focus on do the miraculous gifts exist today? You know, and write long articles about it and research and chew on it, right? And, and not think at all about loving somebody. Or uh, even this, uh, we were, uh, I could be wrong when I say this, okay? But I, uh, we were in Connect last Thursday and Matt was teaching on what to find in a spouse and it was wonderful. But he asked a question, who had taken uh, the Myers-Briggs personality exam? And almost the entire room raised their hand. It, it, that shocked me, I was like, what? It didn't like a long, lengthy, inexpensive. But uh, there's this tendency, um, I think, in our generation particularly, to want to discover yourself. You know, um, we love the personal spiritual gifts inventories, or like like the the right path, or the Myers Briggs. Like, and you know, once we get our answer, we're like, oh, I'm an ISTJ. This is just how I am. I'm in the box. You know, I got to be this way, right? Um, but but more than that, um, it's it's great to discover what you're good at. But aim at others. Aim at your life being used for others. Don't be content with self-knowledge. Use what you know of yourself to bless. So uh, if love is this important, if it's the kind of thing that you can have everything and miss it and have nothing, we've got to be really, really, really clear about what love is. Um, and that's what verses 4 to 6 are about. They, uh, they don't actually define love. It's really interesting. It, it describes love. It kind of paints a picture of love. But I think as we see, uh, as we see the picture, we'll get the definition. Uh, and there, there's some difficulty here, though. Um, and there's multiple difficulties with defining love. First of all, we, used, we abuse the word love. Like, I love the new Star Wars movie, you know? Or, I love this hot dog. Or, um, I, you know, I really love the way you treat your friends. That's so, that's so nice about you. Or, uh, she looked into his deep blue eyes and saw his beautiful soul and said, I love you. Right? And then we open our Bibles and we, we read that this is how we know love that Jesus laid down his life for us. Think, you guys, how different is I love hot dogs from Christ loved us, right? Like, those are just completely different things. Um, and I think, I think even a, a harder difficulty than the fact that we just throw the word love around like it's nothing is that... Uh, Western culture has defined love as this powerful and spontaneous feeling in response to something beautiful, right? Um, like, and obviously, romantic love is the way that's played out most of the time, right? You see someone, it's like, oh. or but it happens anything—a great sunset or a good movie. Like, it's these feelings that that come in response to beauty, and uh, it's 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 right enough to be a really good lie. 
okay, there's a sense in which, uh, you know, we love God as we respond to his beauty. That is a true part of love. But uh, we've even, as Christians, kind of react to that. You know, we'll say things like, you don't have to like people, but you have to love them. You know, we get this idea that love is just this, like, I hate this person, but I'm not going to kill them. You know, like, like that's what love is. Like, sure, because that's how Jesus treats us, right? You know, like, I'm not, I'm not going to punch him. I'm just going to, like, um, so this is, love is difficult to define. Um, but I think as we walk through this passage, we'll get a, a picture of it. Um, look at verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Um, patience here. It's not patience in traffic, okay? It's patience with people. Uh, the old, older Christians used to call it long-suffering. It's suffering a long time with the sins of others. Uh, we, tell, uh, we tell our daughters uh, that patience is being happy to wait. It's just so funny to hear, hear them say it in a little two-year-old voices, you know? But, uh, um, but that's, that's, what, that's what patience is. It is being happy to wait on other people to change. Someone sins against you, Someone, you're struggling with someone's issues. Patience is being happy to wait. It's forbearing. It's being with them in the long run, even if you don't see them changing. Love is kind. Um, this is actually this is the only time this word is used in the, in the New Testament. It gives the sense of uh, this merciful, kind of tender-hearted affection for someone. Uh, Matt said last Thursday that one of the chief things you want to look for in a potential spouse is a merciful spirit, someone who sees that they, they have been forgiven much and, th- and thus is tender toward them. That's kind of simply this word. Uh, it's a tender-heartedness towards people. So do you see that? Love does certainly include emotions. Um, it's not completely emotion. We'll see it's mostly action here as we go on. But there is, there is a tender-hearted disposition that overflows into action. It, it's not enough to just not punch someone. God's will is that you actually desire their good, that you feel and want someone to be blessed. Verse, uh, verse 4 and 5 say this, uh, this, this tenderness overflows into other-centered actions. We have a lot of things that love does not do. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Um, and one question that's really helpful to ask as we think about all the things that love does not do is why are people envious? Why are people arrogant? Uh, typically, envy and arrogance are focusing on yourself. You see yourself in your life. Someone else has something better. You're envious. You wish you had it. Uh, you see your life, you have something good, other people don't have it, you're like, yes, you know? Um, that's going to be in boasting. Why are, why are we resentful and irritable? Because people get on our nerves. They're, they're messing with our schedules. They're, they're messing our lives up. And so, so all these things about what love doesn't do show that love is an other-centeredness. Um, when, love, when love is insulted, love says, how can my response bless this person? When love doesn't get its own way, Love says, how can I meet the needs of others? Love desires. It's, it's, a, it's a whole way of life. It's a focus that blesses others. It seeks another's good. Um, so, so far, kind of, kind of build this definition. Love is a 
tender-hearted disposition that seeks the good of others. All right? Uh, but look at uh, look on to verse 6. It's a very important verse. It says, Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. This word wrongdoing is really unrighteousness. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but in the truth. So uh, love is warm and tender, other-centeredness that is about the ultimate and eternal good of someone else. So love does not encourage its friend to watch Game of Thrones. Okay? Um, love... Love does not let a friend confess sin and then say, oh, everybody struggles with that, you know? Love, love does not say, okay, to an American culture that is saying that anyone who, who opposes homosexuality is just horrible and judgmental and whatever, okay? Love does not back down from what the Bible says about that. Because, guys, guys ultimately, for someone who's living in sin, and their sin is going to lead them to hell, it is not loving to say, yeah, you're fine. Okay? Sometimes love, like it did in the life of the Lord Jesus, results in flipping over people's tables and yelling at them. Okay? Sometimes love results in writing a really snarky and intense passage like 1 Corinthians 13, a loving punch in the face. Love rejoices, see that emotion again, right? It rejoices in the truth. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness. It's an other-centeredness that is aimed at someone's eternal good. Finally, um, love perseveres. If you look at this last verse, verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Again, it's the parallelism is so beautiful. But uh, bearing all things, that's uh, very similar to being patient. It is bearing with people's stuff. It's continuing, it's bearing burdens, it's continuing along with them. Um, believes all things does not literally mean believes everything, okay? It doesn't believe, love does not believe in square circles, all right? That's not what it says. Uh, love believes the best about people. It assumes the best. Love hopes all things, love hopes for the best in people. This person has not changed in 20 years. Love says Jesus can change this person. I'm going to hope. Um, and then love endures all things. The sense of that word is it stands by. It's persevering. It continues. So that's love. It is, a, it is a heart that is filled with tenderness towards others that focuses on blessing them and that does so with perseverance. And uh, we can be honest with ourselves this morning. This passage describes... Um, more than anything else, who we are not, right? Uh, one of the very tempting things about First Corinthians is they were so bad, it's easy to say, Whew. at least I'm not, you know, suing my brother in church. But the reality is, if we, if we can be honest with ourselves, all right, we, we, don't, don't you envy a little bit? Don't you look around people's lives wanting what they have? Aren't you boastful, even if it's kind of sneaky? Irritable, resentful? Are you patient with the sins of other people? You can, you can see it, right? This passage, has a, this passage is like a mirror with a flowery frame. Okay? It looks really beautiful, but its purpose is to show you who you are. I've been a... Uh, I love it and I hate it when this happens. But uh, as I chewed on this passage... Um, I was just so convicted about my lack of patience. I think this was Tuesday, and I was uh, 
um, you know, I was just chewing on the text and I had love is patient in my head. And the whole day, I'd be like, no, 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 love is patient. Oh, you know, like, and that, 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 I think that's the, that's the purpose. Um, obviously, Paul's describing what we should shoot for, but really what, he sh- what he's describing is who we're not. And so w- while we're here for a second, while we can see the biblical standard for our lives and understand that we're not there, look for a second and see that in the middle, in the middle of your lack of love, in your failure to do what God requires, that God in Christ right now loves you. Think about that. Jesus has a tender-hearted affection for you. He's patient with you. He's merciful. God, in, in eternity past, he looked through time. Before the creation of the world, he looked through time and he saw you. And he saw all the ways your life would fail him. And his heart overflowed in mercy towards you. He chose to be patient with you. He chose not to insist on what was easiest and best for him. That's what we're celebrating in Christmas, right? God chose in love to send his son to live perfectly and to die. Jesus, he was the one who endured all things for the sake of love. And right now, right now, in the middle of the mess of your life, he is still being patient with you. He's still kind. He's still forbearing. He's still hoping all things for you, believing all things for you, enduring all things for you. Psalm 103 says it, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our sins from us. Look at the love of Jesus for you (coughs) in the middle of your sin. And the incredible thing is that God did not just love us in our sins. He loved us in our sins to give us the gift of love. As a, I hope that as I describe love, you don't think it's a burden, this horrible, impossible task. Really, people who are filled with love are the most free and wonderful people to be around. They are the happiest people. There, there's a joy in looking beyond yourself, right? And God in Christ... He loved us so that we could partake in his love. When Second Peter says that we, we become partakers of the divine nature, God's purpose in Christ, his purpose in dying, was to give us the gift of love for others. Um, maybe a helpful illustration is that God himself, in who he is, Father, Son, and Spirit, he's a fountain of love. And the gospel of Jesus is a channel by which that love comes to us. So if you want to love this morning, if you're convicted by your lack of love, you're like, oh man, like I, it's been months since I've loved, okay? Um, what you need this morning is to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus afresh. You need to see Christ's love for you. Meditate on it. Chew on it. And he will give you love for others. Uh, Augustine said, Lord, command whatever you want but give what you command. It's a great thing to pray as we chew on this passage. And I just encourage you, this is a, I don't say this in, in many of my talks, but this is the kind of thing, something that is so uh, central. This is worth you taking some time outside of your ordinary pursuit of the Lord to chew on. This is worth skipping lunch today and getting alone with God or taking an hour or two sometime this week, setting it apart to reflect and journal and pray.
Okay, so love's the main thing. You can, if you miss it, you miss everything. Uh, it's this tender-hearted focus on others, this life lived for the good of others. It's only possible in the gospel. But why is it such a big deal? Might be a question you're asking. Uh, is it just a big deal because God says so? Um, and verses 8 through 13 explain Paul's logic. It explains why love is the most essential, not the only one, but the most essential quality of the Christian life. And that is because love is the only thing going into heaven, or, or almost, it's almost the only experience of the Christian life that's going into heaven. Um, look at verses 8 through 9. As for love never ends, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. We can debate the gifts, tongues, and prophecies now, but there's a day when everybody will be a cessationist, right? Um, that's when Jesus returns, okay? The gifts will cease when he returns. They will no longer have a function. Um, and it's not just the miraculous ones, but all the gifts. Do you guys know that? Spiritual gifts won't function in heaven because they will no longer be necessary. Um, one of my heroes' his name is Richard Baxter. He wrote this book called The Saints Everlasting Rest about heaven. I would highly recommend it. Um, he was one of the most hard-working, hard-working Christians in the history of Christianity. Just You can just look, Wikipedia his life, okay? It's crazy. Anyways, here's what he says, though, about heaven. There shall be no more prayer because there's no more need, but the full enjoyment of what we prayed for. Neither shall we fast or weep or watch because we're out of the reach of sin and temptations. Preaching is done. Ministry is over. The ordinances, which are baptism and the Lord's Supper, become useless. The labor is called in. The harvest is gathered. The tares burned. The work finished. The unregenerate past hope and the saints past fear forever. Think about that. All the stuff we do, devotions, which are necessary now, being involved in a local church, necessary now, getting up on Sundays, right? Um, uh, exercising our gifts in the body, serving, building the lives of others, all of that one day will come to an end because it will no longer be necessary. And what will remain when all the other things we do end is love. Love is primarily what is going to go on in heaven. That's going to be the main experience of heaven. Um, in verses 11 and 12, Paul kind of gives this illustration as to how this works. He says, when I, when, I thought like, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. This is not a verse to like tell your roommate to quit video games, okay? That's not what we're talking about here. Um, but, uh, but the idea here is that our knowledge now and our ability to see now compared to what we'll see when Christ returns is like that of a four-year-old to that of an adult. Guys, give you a hint. Four-year-olds can be pretty dumb, okay? Um, they, don't, they don't really reason very well. All right, one day, uh, this was yesterday, okay, uh, our foster daughter, Kinley, asked me, hey, 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 Leland, is God a boy? And I was like, well, the answer is kind of complicated, you know? Like, like, well, yes, in Jesus, yes, but, but God's a spirit, you know, anyways, like, how do you explain that to a four-year-old? You can't. They can't reason through that. They can't chew on that. Maybe you guys are like, oh, I've never thought about that before, you know? Um, but, uh, but at least you could, at least you had the faculties to chew on it. That's the idea here. What, well, everything we have now, the, the smartest, most insightful person in the world right now in the things of God is like a little kid compared to what we'll see in heaven. Um, the illustration goes on again. 
For now we've seen a mirror dimly, but then face to face. That word dimly is really as a riddle. We see in a mirror as a riddle. The, the clearest you've ever seen Jesus is like a foggy day compared to what we'll see in heaven. Um, but don't miss the point of this. Look at, uh, look at verse 13. So now faith and hope and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So now, in this present age, the three most important things in the Christian life are faith and hope and love. But the greatest is love because one day your faith will no longer be necessary, right? Heaven's not a place of faith. It's a place of sight. One day your hope, that, that longing for a better future that, that should characterize the Christian life, one day all of your hopes will come true. You won't have anything to hope for because everything you could possibly dream and hope for has already come true. And on that day, what will last is love. Uh, Jonathan Edwards wrote a uh, sermon called Heaven is a World of Love. Again, you guys can just Google it. It's been, you know, there's no copyright on it. Just, it's a great sermon. You should read it. A little, little thick, a little intellectual, okay? But all we need is this title, right? Heaven is a World of Love. What's going to happen in heaven? You are going to see God. And he's going to be so overwhelmingly beautiful, you're going to love him when you see him. And you're going to see others. And you're going to see the way they reflect God's glory. And you're going to love them. And, and because God is in, infinite, he is infinitely enjoyable. We'll always be doing this forever. All, all, the main point of that is what's going to go on forever is love. So set your life now on what will last forever. Are your devotions necessary? Yes, do them. Is involvement here necessary? Yes, do it. Do you need gifts? Do you need to serve? Absolutely. But do those things in a way that lasts forever. As we close, um, I want to note that just one of the most prevalent lies in American culture is almost half true. Uh, I think American culture tells us that we can have heaven on earth um, if we just get the right job or spouse or vacation, if we just listen to the advertisers and what they say to us that we can have heaven on earth. We can have paradise here. Just, just watch, watch commercials. You'll notice this. They're offering you this, this life that you long for. Um, even, uh, I've even seen like, like, I'm, I, I like, I like dieting and exercise and pay like the whole 30. Okay. I was a vegan for a while back in the day. Right? I'm, I'm, into, I'm into that. Okay. We're kind of hippies in a little bit. All right. Um, but, uh, one thing you gotta really look out for is when you enter, when you do the whole 30, the people who, who do the whole 30 are like, they, they don't say you'll live forever, okay? But the way they talk about the health benefits, like, oh, yeah, you can, you can have a nice, long life, right? Um, you can have heaven on earth. And what's so interesting is that all of those lies are almost right. There is a real sense in which if you're in Christ and if you live a life of love, you can have a taste of heaven on earth. Heaven is going to be a world of love when our hearts overflow with love for others. And now in Christ, if you see him, as you plead for him to give this to you, if you set your eyes on him, you can have a taste of heaven now. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you. Uh, your word is clear. Um, I just just look at it. You, you would help us to live a life of love. It is so easy to miss. It is so easy to be focused on our activities and our disciplines and our obedience and to miss 
the main thing. And so I just plead that you you would help us not to miss this. In Jesus' name, amen.